What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Pitcher Bet Sports Podcast. I am your host, Matt Guest. With me out in Vegas is Matt Morris. What's up, brother? How you doing? Dude, two and a half hours past our 10 o'clock start time tonight. That's actually probably a record. We're out here uh, living. Those of, yeah, those of you listening, we had intended to start two and a half hours ago. And, uh, well, conversation had uh, gotten us pretty deep. And, uh, you know, we discussed exactly what's wrong with Major League Baseball marketing. I think we found the solution. Um, yep, we're you know, there. Hand us $100 million and uh, we will make you a very popular sport. Jokes aside. Perfect. Yes, jokes aside. Although they did put the A's logo on the sphere. That was kind of cool. And also at the same time, kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, that is kind of cool. It's also November, too, which was also really funny about us talking about baseball um, (laughs) offline here and and off the record. So we will we will transition just straight into the week that was Thanksgiving and football that we had here. Um, Obviously, our Packers kicked off Thanksgiving week with a bang. It was beautiful. I loved it. Lions fans were salty. Now, what I was upset about, and this is late and I don't want to dive too deep into it because we're basically a week after this this happened, is that. I don't know if you noticed this, Matt, but Jordan Love and the Packers are the only team not to get a turkey leg on Thanksgiving. And I think that's something that's an unforgivable sin by the network of Fox and what they did to our Green Bay Packers during Jordan Love's biggest win of his career thus far is not give the man a damn turkey leg on Thanksgiving. And I honestly don't think I'll ever let it go because I explain this to me Did they fucking 49ers do it at night and the Dak Prescott and the Cowboys and the fact that Fox, Aaron Andrews said, sorry, Jordan, we don't have a turkey leg for you. I almost threw up. Oh, that's interesting. So had the, the rumor Lions is Greg won? Olson fucked it up in the press box while they were doing it on TV. There's a lot of rumors circulating on Packers Twitter. But long story short, Love and the Packers didn't get a turkey leg on Thanksgiving. And it's disgusting. You know, listen, after seven or eight Super Bowl rings and in his Hall of Fame induction, <laughs> if he thinks and Imagine remembers him coming this out day, with a turkey leg. And he says to everyone, what motivated me my entire career <laughs> was that Thanksgiving victory. They didn't have a turkey leg for me. I'll lose it. I mean, that would be that would be one of the greatest stories of all time and also a hilarious storyline. A true American hero would say that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but we'll get into, we kind of have a lot of things we wanted to talk about today, but first and foremost, what we really wanted to get into was something we actually had discussed at the end of our last podcast off the air, but something Tom Brady had brought up and the state of the league and the competition. And I don't have his exact quote, but in summary, he basically was saying that the level of play in the NFL isn't as good right now. And it's something you and I were talking about is, is it because of the quarterbacks? Is it because of guys like Brandon Staley? Is it because of guys like older coaches like Sean Payton, but who he's turned it around, right? Like what is the issue with some of the competition in the NFL this year? And I think we saw it firsthand on Thanksgiving, to be quite honest with you, right? The Packers Lions game was good, but we had the commanders and the Cowboys. We knew going into that game, the Cowboys were going to blow them out and they blew them out. Then you had the Niners and the Seahawks. Seahawks were a little banged up, but not really a competitive game. And as you go through the slate here, you start to look at some of these matchups, especially the teams that play in New York slash New Jersey. Some of our bigger market teams are just absolute dog shit. 
you know, and it's more than just the quarterback. And it's a really good conversation that we're going to have here. And it's like, what part of this is coaching? What part of this is players roster construction, our favorite buzzword on this podcast. And also where in, in, in this situation is gambling tied in, right? And how much of these games are being not fixed or anything like that, but where my mind goes to Matt is why the hell did I even watch that bears Vikings game Monday night? Oh yeah. It's because I threw a little prize picks in a sleeper pick. I also had my fantasy football playoffs on the line, but not for one second. Did I really enjoy that football game? And is that more or less what the NFL is becoming now? I know I just kind of rambled on for a little bit, but I want to hear your thoughts on the state of the game. And if gambling and fantasy is really the only thing keeping the NFL afloat right now. Well, we have a lot of things we want to talk about today, Matt, and uh, that may go out the door because I think this is, <laughs> I think this is a full podcast conversation. Sure, yeah. And I, I think it hits on everything we've been talking about for three years. And I'm going to start it off with the relationship between the front office and the coaching staff. When you think about the ideal way to start a new regime, it is bringing in a new GM who ultimately can hire his own coaching staff so that his player personnel is in line with the coaching scheme. It, it is, in theory, a great logical play out, but we see it not play out so well so many times. And I think that's the starting point, hiring poor player personnel and general managers who hire, in turn, poor head coaches who, in turn, hire poor coaching staffs. If you look at Deuce Staley, who just got fired this week, um, you look at who is the quarterback's coach? Uh, I'm just going to call him his brother's name. Uh, but, well, Frank uh, Reich just got let go in Carolina correct. too. Right well, after well, they draft Bryce Young. Yep. Um, it's, it's not McLeod, McLean. Oh, McCown, Josh McCown. McCown. Okay, so McCown and Staley, right? I think personally, probably pretty good coaches. I know Staley has now lost two jobs in just two years coming from Detroit now as well as Carolina. So that, you know, we don't see behind closed doors. But McCown being a veteran quarterback relationship from everything we've heard, probably a pretty damn good quarterbacks coach. At least Frank Wright brought in some personnel that you know you can have some faith in, only to be cut short a little over halfway through the season. But that just doesn't kind of reinstill the faith for the league. You're almost better than well, two NFL players that have played the game can relate to players. They get fired. Maybe we keep hiring these guys that held clipboards in college. It also didn't play the sport, which we're seeing a lot of in the NFL currently, even with head coaches. But we mentioned this a few weeks ago in the regards to what NFL organizations really actually do it right. And I think that's also a root of this. I think right off the bat, the Eagles, the Chiefs, I think the Packers, you know, even though the Packers get a lot of hate, I think what they've done to create two Hall of Fame quarterbacks back-to-back, have a third quarterback who is, I think, the starting quarterback for Green Bay in the future. Like, that's that's all I'm willing to say right now without being over-exaggerating. Um, that's pretty damn impressive. And the list will continue, the 49ers. All of them have hired good GMs who have hired coaches that execute good systems and having personnel in place that help that coach execute the system. I think if you look at all of them, that's, that is the clear trend. And then you look at the Giants, you look at the Jets, you look at the Browns. Again, this list can go on if we want to make it deeper, but there's always something in that uh, grouping that doesn't work. Giants in particular, Danny Jones, pretty terrible. 
at times, right? Again, though, does he have the offensive line? Does he have the playmakers? Do, do we have the personnel for Dayball to actually execute his offense? I would say no. So there's the problem. It's personnel. Jets, whole nother ball game, right? They put their entire franchise in Rodgers' hands. It didn't work out this year. But the last piece I will say, because I've been rambling on this point because there's so many key points, is I think the NFL is focused far too much on the quarterback. I've said that for years. I think drafting and creating the franchise image, the marketing piece that is the quarterback is a death sentence for a lot of these bad franchises. And I think you look at the Giants. They could have brought in better assets. They could have built an offensive line. They could have continued to sign and build that defense instead of trading away a great player to Seattle. But instead, they just continue to recycle and refine. Um, the Chiefs, the Packers, the Eagles, they bring in good players. They develop these players and ultimately execute a system. And it's its apples and oranges at times. Yeah, I think you make up a, a good point at the end there about the quarterbacks. And, you know, the, the, the phrase, we're just a quarterback away, right? You hear that with the Jets all years. Oh, their defense is so good. And it's so sad that their defense is playing this great, but they don't have the offense to back them up, which that's not a untrue statement, right? But they're not a quarterback away. Like I, I don't think with Aaron Rodgers, this team is much more above 500 than they are today because to our favorite buzzword, the roster construction of the offensive line and the weapons outside of Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson aren't much there in New York. And it would have been it seemed inevitable even from the first few snaps that Rodgers was going to have a hard time staying healthy. Now, none of us thought he would pop his Achilles four plays into the season. But I agree with you. The myth that, you know, we're just a quarterback away it isn't true. Even with the team like the Texans who found their guy, they're still going to have some aches and pains and bumps and bruises along the way, but they've done a really good job at solidifying the overall roster. I, I think another team that you didn't mention that does a great job of not solely focusing on the quarterback to produce wins and having a good overall roster is the Pittsburgh Steelers, dude. Those guys under Mike Tomlin, they, they've never been below 500 and they're going to be above five. They're, they're competing for first place in the division. The team on paper is laughable. It's not a Madden team, right? But it goes to what you were saying at the beginning of your little rant. There is they have alignment from the top ownership, GM head coach, it took them over 50 games to fire their own coordinator, even though they knew they needed to. <laughs> like, that's how bought in the organization is from top down and the respect that people have there. And, you know, I, I think that's phase one in my initial question to you. Like, so I think that the next step, right? So it's not just the quarterback. It's about the organization. It's about the roster construction. But what what is the next issue that you're seeing right now on why some of the product on the field isn't worth it and tie in a little bit of what you think about this gambling prize picks. You live in Vegas, so it's definitely a little bit more prevalent for you, but even me, a guy who lives in California where it's illegal, it's still in my face every day on every billboard, especially just going to LA and going to SoFi. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll touch on the gambling first. And I think, I think it's something that you and I just talked about um, in pre-recording, which is, if you follow the narrative that any sport is rigged, you also have to understand that in order to actually rig an event, you have to be absolutely perfect and methodical with your actions. 
And I think we give the refs and the NFL at times too much credit that the games are rigged. When you really look at the games, there's one or two blown calls. Even the calls that are blown, you're like, yeah, there might have been contact there. I, I guess I can see the penalty that they called. Because in reality, I think if we looked at the tape, in almost any play, you could probably call a penalty if you wanted to. So, you know, fans are given that piece when a, a, a hold or a hands to the face automatic first down is thrown at a key moment in the game to extend a drive. That was kind of your point, and I agree with you. And you think, damn, you know, they're they're just trying to push the over. Well, maybe. Sure. That's a possibility. I'm not going to rule it out because anything's possible. But the likelihood is that's the third time. Now it's the third quarter. He's done this. I'm finally throwing a flag. And you know what? The drive extends. And yes, it's a key moment of the game. But it's the third quarter. Of course, it's a key moment of the game. It's deeper into the game. And I think we forget about that little variable on top of the 50 other variables that are in the equation where it's like, these refs are watching this game. They're going to let you get away with that, or they're going to call it right away so that uh, a precedent is set in this game that you're not going to be able to hold like that. And third and fourth quarter comes around. They're going to start throwing penalty flags in key moments because it's like, hey, I've, I've told you all game or I've let it slide all game. You can't do that. And you as a corner, knowing the key moment, knowing the key drive, you're probably going to get a little handsy and you're going to cause a penalty. Those are things that while we are watching these games, we do not pay attention to. But now that the gambling world is taking over the sports world, it's more polarizing. It's no longer I'm rooting for my favorite team. It's, oh my God, I have $200 on this game. And if I lose this, I can't pay my cell phone bill. Or I have to win this so I can pay rent. Or a billion other variables, right? So you have people polarized. You have them literally emotionally and financially bought into the product. And it's going to cause more conversations. It's going to cause more controversy. When in reality, there is no easy solution to this, this issue until you go fully AI-generated refs. That was something I told you. I think, it's, I think it will come down the pipe because I think it is the only way the NFL will actually be able to guarantee the product on the field is legitimate now that the gambling world, A, is legalized, and it B, think about 10 years from now, when you have people putting together ridiculous lawsuits because of whatever variable we just talked about, AI refs have to come into the equation eventually. It's already happening in baseball. It's happening in other sports. The NFL, once technology has gotten there, I think we'll have to transition that way as well. And then we'll be talking about a couple other variables as to what the, you know, the conspiracy is for these teams losing coincidentally. And it's just always going to be a narrative that's always followed because people, again, are financially and emotionally invested. Yeah, which is the the downside and the scary side of it, right? But the thing that I'm noticing too in, in for this conversation is that, man, I really am only watching some of these games because I have action on it. Now, <laughs> seriously though, you yeah. know, and it's like now my, the word action for me is, you know, no more no more than a hundred dollars right like i'm not i'm not a mass i'm not doing the whole cell phone bill and rent and you know that's that's a problem and an issue for another time but look adults are adults and it is what it is right if that's the route you're gonna choose and it's a that's not this isn't the conversation i'm trying to have where, where i'm going with this is just like to the vikings bears game monday night that is a bad football game and two really really bad football teams i'd argue the game this friday night 
in Las Vegas, Washington, Oregon, college football is going to be a better product than what we saw Monday night from a viewer's perspective on TV. But the fact that I had a little parlay and that my fantasy football playoff championship life was on the line Monday night, I almost watched the entire game, right? So for all the negative connotations and, you know, the problems and issues that come with gambling and the risk of rigging and, you know, maybe a potential AI down the line, it's how is the NFL and us as fans balancing out? Like, how much do we need gambling? And we need fantasy football to watch the Bears Vikings. The Saints Falcons, the Giants versus the Patriots, right? Like outside of their real fans who half of them aren't watching or are rooting for them to lose. Like there's a really, really big balance here because it gets to the point where you look at some of this stuff. And if I am giving gambling advice, it's like, don't touch that game, right? But it's like, hey, Matt, I've got DeAndre Hopkins on my team. I need him to score. Guess what? I'm going to I'm going to put on a couple drives of this Panthers Titans game, even though it sucks. So it's a really, really fine and interesting line. And my take on the whole situation here after a minute and a half kind of giving some background is I think the gambling in fantasy football is is more important than the game itself. I think there's more gambling in fantasy fans than there are almost true fans of teams at this point in time. And, and maybe that's a hot take and maybe I'm wrong, but that's where I'm seeing this with all the fantasy leagues that I'm in and different type of social gatherings. I go out, more people are paying attention to that than their actual squad. If they even have one at this point. Well, and then I think that's a fantastic point because I'm the same way with baseball. The only reason I love, love, love baseball is because of the data behind it, the player history, the player trends, all the numbers, all the projective, uh, you know, future stats, being right and being wrong. And when you think back on baseball's history, especially the steroid era, you had the generation older than us, obviously, because they bitch about everything, <laughs> complain about how it ruined the game. It didn't ruin the game. It ruined their game because their game was built in numbers. It was built in fairness. It was a, It was a system. The steroids came in and said, I'm taking the back door to the final level of the game. And it ruined it for them. For us younger fans, awesome home runs, you know, 100 mile an hour pitches. This is great. And I say that because it transitions right to the NFL. And the NFL, with gambling and fantasy being such a dominating factor, and not only its marketability, but also its content creation and its, and its fan interaction, has to protect the integrity of the game because as gambling and fantasy becomes as large or larger gambling will become larger by revenue than the nfl i almost guarantee it if it isn't already you know on the table off the table under the table whatever (laughs) um you have to legitimize the product and the only way to do that is with machines right i'm not saying send out robots to be football players i'm saying you have to make sure the refs um, have every call perfect because otherwise you will, this is a house of cards and this could become the greatest like human uh, economic sector, gambling, football, kind of all, all in one little area. This could be trillions of dollars a year. You know, maybe oil trumps that. So I, <laughs> <ignorant>, but, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but you get what I'm saying? Like yeah, from a yeah. creation perspective, 
And and I said to you well, before we jumped on today, I said, you know, the NFL just it's not holding my attention. It's not holding uh, my my draw anymore. Part of it is because I'm not as invested in fantasy. Part of it is because, you know, this and that. But like when I watched the product, you brought it up, Bears and Vikings. Holy hell. I watched maybe five minutes of that game and I couldn't watch it. It was so yeah. bad. And that goes right into the other problem, which is the NFL needs to do a better job team by team, putting people in charge that are going to make good decisions. If I watch 12 more screen passes in a game in my life, I'm going to scream. And as you kind of talked, I really thought about it. And I thought about it from a perspective. If you look at an overall organization, we'll just we'll take the Bears as an example. And you kind of think about it from a material perspective kind of use a calibrator as a car. That car has seven different things wrong with it. It is just chugging down the road, barely alive. Seven key components need to be changed. And yet this organization changes either two of them or changes the wrong six of them. It just continues to chug and chug and chug. This is a product of the NFL and it's an awful awful product. That's a problem for the NFL, not just Chicago, not just bear fans, yeah. not just bear ownership. You can't allow your product to go onto the road and show itself to the world like that. I understand if a few organizations have a few components off, that happens, right? We're talking about a lot of variables, but there are a lot of teams that have five, six, seven pieces wrong from offensive coordinator in Canada with the Steelers to the head coach, you know, Carolina probably wasn't the problem. It was probably the owner's fault for wanting to take um, for to take Bryce Young over CJ Stroud. Like we again, we could go through this list over and over, but this is a problem for the NFL. It's a product problem. I don't think it's a talent problem. We have some of the best players, yeah, most athletic players. They're, they're these teams just aren't being patient either. So that I think is the biggest thing. Patience. We're so inclined to just say, Hey, it's been three years. This didn't work. Let's get the new regime in there. And it's like, that's, that's not building a program that's, that's destroying itself. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I don't disagree with you. I, I totally think that it, we don't have a talent issue. I also, the more we've talked about this and got ready today, like, I don't think it's totally a quarterback issue because there's definitely bad quarterbacks out there. Like I'm not saying there isn't right. Um, but even like we'll throw in the, you know, the Kenny Pickett's of the world, the Baker Mayfield's of the world. Um, Tommy DeVito went like 16 for 21 and won a game. Yeah. Maybe not him, but like, there's still like, there's some players, but he can guys, do it. guys, there's you guys know? that can put the ball in the right spot. Aiden O'Connell uh, for the Raiders, right? Like there's still like, there's okay. There's bad, bad. Don't get me wrong. But where I'm going with this, I want to go back to your baseball example, your baseball analogy that you threw in here is right. The league went away from the home run, right? Baseball did not fall in love with steroids, obviously, but they didn't fall in love with the home run. You look at the NFL, you look at the NBA, right? The NBA fell in love with the home run with the three ball, right? Yeah. There's such a push to we're going to extend the game. All these teams are going to line up shooters. They think they could be Golden State. But when you look at the nucleus of what Golden State was and what made them great was defense and ball movement and the best shooter of all time. 
right? So that yeah. all that perfect combination worked for the Warriors, didn't work for the rest of the league. And now in, in basketball, you're starting to see it balance out more. You get the Miami Heat beating teams because they're playing inside-out basketball, playing more physical, playing better defense, right? The world champion Nuggets are not chucking threes. They're playing more of a San Antonio Spurs type of ball game, right? And you're starting to see the league counterbalance and correct itself a little bit because chucking threes isn't a sustainable way to win championships in basketball. It just isn't unless you have Steph Curry. And what I'm thinking, like when you use that analogy for baseball is that the NFL fell in love with the home run, right? But it was also because you had Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Ben Roethlisberger, Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady, the list goes on, right? Like Drew Brees, we had these, these generational quarterbacks that all happened to fall in at once, right? When you change all the rules to benefit quarterbacks and take away from defenders, that, okay, we're seeing these guys fall out of the twilight of their career. We see these guys retire, and now it's more widely accepted to do a spread Chip Kelly type of offense that didn't work. Shit, what was that, 14, 15 years ago now when he came to Philadelphia? And we see, to your point, if I see 15 more screens, right, you see all these bubble screens that are getting blown up, and you're seeing these quarterbacks have to make these super quick decisions rather than playing complementary football using the play action, using the run game, actually having a real strategy. And it seems like it's a quarterback issue, but in reality, it seems like the NFL fell in love with the home run going all the way back to this, right? And they're trying to have the big play and throw the ball downfield and do all these different things. But since we have elite athletes on the defensive line in that corner, it's now conflicting and Maybe we do start to see a little bit more of a mending run balanced offense to kind of solve these issues. Not sure that. Well, I, I agree with everything you said. And, I, and I'm actually going to disagree with your first comment, which is that baseball didn't fall in love with the home run. And I, I think you'll actually agree with what I'm about to say. They did fall in love with the home run. And it was a problem because after Bonds, after the steroid users, A-Rod, it took it, baseball took a decline. And then the launch angle happened just a few years ago where people started changing their swings because if you know, the ball that's is true. bouncier and now everybody's hitting a home run, right? Because that's, that's the name of the game. That's how you win. Well, what happened? Baseball changed their rules. We've talked about this on countless shows yeah. and they balanced themselves out. This was some of the best products I have ever seen on a baseball field this season. They did such a great job by changing the rules where the NFL may have gone backwards with their rule changes for, you know, a lot of us, you know, original natural football fans. Gosh, we are now the people bitching about the rules. We've got old. <laughs> yeah. um, balance is, is, I think, perfect with what you just said. And it happened in baseball. It happened in basketball. It's going to happen in football. And I think it comes from a coaching perspective. And it's, you know, restaurant 101 analogy time. I think what we've seen is a lot of these really young guys come into the league as head coaches and similar to if you have a new manager at your job or again in the restaurant and you've done this a while and he comes in and he has all these grandiose ideas of how to, how to do things differently. Well, we're going to serve drinks like this. And you look at him as he's saying this and you're like, how stupid are you? And you can classify that with a bunch of other ideas this guy probably has. When you've done it so much longer and you've seen that those things do not work they just don't 
You know, you've seen them over the course of 20 years, tried three or four different times with different clientele and different settings. They just don't work. And yet it might be flashy for a couple of weeks. It might be really cool, but eventually it's not a foundation you want to lay for your restaurant. And I see the same thing in the NFL. Look at Andy Reid as we've leaned on so many times. He just does it really well, right? And even Mike McCarthy, we have shit on him a lot and he's got a good team in (laughs) Dallas, but he he at least knows what doesn't work, right? And he also doesn't adjust as quickly as he should, which is a problem in itself. But my point being is that these NFL teams, I think, will really start going back to veteran head coaches who lay a foundation, who have a system, who have discipline, who create a culture. And create a car that can go down the street without, you know, smelling like gasoline and having a cloud of smoke around it because it's really not worked for the most part for a lot of these young coaches in their systems outside of the LaFleurs and the McVeighs and the Shanahan and, you know, the O'Connell. We've talked about all the other ones that have failed. And that's part of balance as well is getting back to giving people jobs that actually know how to do them. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Mike McDaniel too out there in, in Miami, yep. but yeah, and th- there's always going to be a balance, right? There's always going to be good guys. There's always going to be hits. There's always going to be misses, right? We still have the Shanahan tree that is full of hits. Honestly, um, look at the, the guy in uh, Houston. I, I forget his name. Uh, D'Amico Ryan's right now, right? Like another one looks amazing, but then how many guys from Belichick's tree look good? Not many, right? You got Dayball had one big year last year, and it's. It's looking bad year two. So we'll see. Um, I guess I do agree with you. You're right about the baseball thing. They were in love with the home run. Everyone was striking out. And this year, the Diamondbacks made the World Series because they played yeah. small ball. So you're on to something there. But all in all, I do think we we are at a crossroads in the NFL, right? And whether it is a, whether it is a rule change, like maybe not making it an automatic first if there's a defensive hold or an illegal use to the hands when it's not an automatic first or a detrimental penalty to the offense maybe it's we're allowing the corners to play a little bit more physical i don't know there's plenty of things that you could change but i I think there will have to be a counterbalance to start making some of these games more interesting because what you're going to do is a either make everyone degenerate gamblers or b like you really are going to start losing some audience because it's week 13 matt i'm going through the matchups as we're about to talk about some of these upcoming matchups and games that happened last week like there's some games that are flat out unwatchable before they kick off. And that's that's something you can't have with eight weeks left in the season, in my opinion. If if you want to be, you know, reaching out to the general public and is me as a football fan, as a fantasy fan, as a gambling fan, like I can't see games on the schedule and I'm like, that game sucks. Like, well, I will not watch that game. You also can't be like, I can't bet on that game right? That's the next key to this. Like, think about the Bears and Vikings. I can't bet on that game. How many games can I not bet on this weekend? And that's a problem. And last thing I'll say before we move on is, you know, this is back to the AI, because I know it's a buzzword term right now, and everyone's up in arms over it, but it doesn't even need to be full integration. You know, we see what StatCast or the NFL's version of StatCast, Amazon's, you know, statistical data can do. I mean, it can track the speed, it can track everything. You could simply have AI plugged in and showing the ratio of the hold. Well, the left tackle held 32% on that play, right? Because I guarantee you can find the model for what holding is and, and show it on the screen. 
And you could have a side-by-side, or you could even just bring it in when there's a play that's called for a defensive pass interference. And when the screen pops up and it says, you know, 87% penalty, it's like, well, of course they called that, right? And then you could even integrate it as far as giving it to the refs where it's like, hey, if they call, if they throw a flag and it was like a 13% penalty call, that flag's getting picked up. Right. It's, it's just, Hey, I made, I made the bad call. Maybe there was a little bit of a hold, but like there's a threshold that we accept a penalty at and there's a threshold we don't. And if it doesn't fall at that threshold, we pick the flag right back up. That would be still the human element mixed with kind of the safety net. I think I would be, I think that's probably more or less where we will trend than full integration because full integration has its own downfalls. And we could talk for hours about that, but there has to be some kind of technology come into play. And again, other sports do it. Baseball will have balls and strikes called by that. Like it's just a natural way of evolution for these sports and these leagues. Okay. So we're going to move on to week 13 here, chat a little bit about some of the upcoming matchups, uh, along with spreads, a couple other lines, and I'm, I'm sure a tangent or two from probably Matt cause he's crazy, but um, the first team, first game was the Thursday night game. Um, we've said some funny stuff throughout the season about the Seattle Seahawks, right? Like, ah, this could be them taking their next step. They have an injury here, an injury there. They are coming into the craziest part of their schedule, uh, which was, hey, let's see how they handle this, right? We all knew this was coming for the Eagles, for Seattle, for the Niners. A lot of the top teams in the NFC are really, really about to see a crazy schedule to close out this season. We're really going to find out what teams have in them. And Seattle got smoked Thursday night at home against the Niners. They got Dallas Thursday night, and then they got the Niners next week in Santa Clara. So this is a massive stretch, and this is going to make or break their season. No way around it. Kenneth Walker is most likely going to be out right here on paper. They're nine-point dogs going into Dallas. Now, here's why I like them against the spread. This isn't an official pick, but why I think the number is a little bit too high is because I still don't think we've seen Dallas play too much quality competition and i know that's kind of an easy you know casual take but it's the truth anytime dak has had any pressure he seems to fold a little bit not be able to deliver for his team so this is a two-part take for me on this game on what i'm looking forward to is a can seattle salvage their season because if they lose thursday night i think it's done for them i think they're in deep trouble they're going to fall out of wild card contention and it's going to be a little bit of a spiral for Gino and the Seahawks. And B is I want to see the same Dak Prescott and the same Cowboys offense that I saw against the terrible Washington commanders Thursday night on Thanksgiving. I want to see them assert dominance, but I also want to see them handle a little bit of adversity because I know that defense for Seattle is going to give them a little bit of trouble, but they're at home. Um, I think nine is a bit much though, because Seattle's this is a desperation game for Seattle off a bad loss. Yeah, it scares me. Also, it's a Thursday night game, and yeah, those are terrifying. They both played last Thursday, so they've both had a full week. Well, and the only Thursday games in history that haven't really scared me are Thanksgiving Thursdays because it it just has a history to it. You know, outside of that, Thursday night games have been wonky throughout the yeah. you know the four or five year stretch or three year stretch that we've been doing it to generate more TV revenue. Um, but I think you said it perfectly. This is a make or break game, not only for the Seahawks season but for their current construction. We've been talking about in the past, do they change quarterbacks? Do they go with Kirk Cousins? You know, do, What do they do at the end of the season? Well, if Geno can go out there and win in Dallas, puts a lot of those concerns Huge. to bed, right? Like, hey, okay, season's back online. We beat one of the best teams in our conference. We can move forward. Even if you lose to them and you make it a four or a five or a six-point game, hey, we hung with them. 
You go to Dallas and you get blown out. Those questions are immediately happening in the front office. And that's that's it. That's all she wrote. Because yeah. they're going to be had and it's going to be, what do we do to get better? Well, it's not Gino. That's that's it. That's the starting point, right? As much as we want to not make the issues in the NFL about not the quarterback, it's the head coach and then the quarterback that go. So Pete's not going anywhere. Um, that's a scary game for me. I... I don't want to even take either team. I, I want to take the nine <laughs> because it just it just doesn't seem right. It's a right. big number. It's a big number. Um, and the Cowboys coming off, as you said, the Commanders, Commanders traded their best defensive players. They are going to be very bad. So uh, diff- this is a different team. You know, I've been talking all season about how I really like what's being built in Seattle, and I think we see a defense really show up against Dak, and I think make it difficult. The question is, does that kid get his six interception for a touchdown? That would be yeah. sick. Yeah, that would be sick. Uh, I mean, let's be honest. Tyreek Hill might have 250 yards against the commanders this weekend. So, like, let's let's check. I loved the I loved the defensive back for the Giants coming out, Banks, and just, okay. like, roasting them because he went to Maryland <laughs> and they chose not to take him. I mean, f- absolute hatred and fury that, you know, his hometown team passed on him. And those are pretty on brand. That's incredible though. You know, like his entire career, he will always have hatred because they decided to go in a different direction. And it's like, yeah, well look at their defense. You know, we've talked about this also, they should have been elite for years and they just haven't been. Yeah. Um, totally. And you know what? That team talk about another organizational failure, right? I would go though in that game, I'd go Jalen Waddle over yards. I would not actually go Tyreek Hill. I hope so. I'm against Hill in a must-win fantasy game. Going Ooh. back to what matters, right? Hang that'd it up. Be the only that'd be the only reason I'm paying attention to that is like, oh, he doesn't have 150 yards yet. Thank God. <laughs> uh, um, a, a matchup that I actually kind of penciled in here last that I wanted to go over is a team that you went and saw in person a month ago, Denver Broncos, bro. I, I guess all they needed was you in the fa- in the stands to talk a little shit about Dude. them to get hot because I don't think they've lost since you stepped foot into Denver. Um, they are tied six and five with the Colts and the Houston Texans, who they're playing in Houston this week. Texans are three and a half point favorites. But what surprises you the most about this Denver team being able to from you came on the pod was like, oh my gosh, that may be one of the worst offenses I've ever seen to finding their identity and actually being not one of the better teams in the AFC, but the team I think we all were expecting from them at the beginning of last year. Well, you know, Denver, you're welcome. Everything I touch (laughs) turns to gold. So uh, you can thank me for that. But in all seriousness, I think it's the execution and the conviction of the offense, because what I watched was an offense that was middling. Like it, it, it was sad, but there were bones to it just like there were bones to Green Bay's offense when I was watching earlier in the year. And I said, you know what? I I can see the light at the end of the tunnel if they can just really start to execute. Green Bay started to execute. Denver started to execute. Also, they're playing with an intensity. I will continue to go back to this for years. The entire we are going to trade and open to trading anyone had to have lit a fire under all of their asses. And Going back to the narrative that I talked about earlier with older head coaches, coaches that have done it and built systems, Sean Payton knows how to coach men. Unlike some of the coaches we've had, Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer, um, <laughs> he, he knows how to coach men and, and motivate men. And, and he got these guys to buy in. That's the only thing I can think of. And 
executing a system that works with a quarterback that he has definitely made, you know, valuable again. Um, he's maybe not the Russ Wilson of old, but he is a great game manager now, and he is executing the plan and this offense. And I said it a couple of weeks ago, it was more or less like you got to give these guys a little more time, you know, give them time to get into a new system, get them time to get their rhythm. The Broncos have the rhythm. I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender by any means. No, but I think they're going to make teams live down the stretch difficult. I think they're going to be in football games and ultimately they should beat the Texans. I mean, this is a young Ooh, team you with so? a young quarterback and I, I think they should beat the Texans. So I like, I what is know. it? Texans three and a half are the favorites. Yeah. Texans are three and a half as favorites. It's a tough number. It is. It is, but it's a rookie quarterback. And I know CJ Stroud's our top five guy now, but man, I'm, I'm all in on this on this coaching concept. I really am. I, on, on, I think Sean Payton can win this game. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't. I don't disagree with you. I like Houston to win. I, I wouldn't bet on this line. It's too the numbers terrible. Like I, I, I could see this being a one point game. I could see this being a three point game. Right. Um, I think it's going to be close. And to your point, Sean Payton's able to coach men, and yep. I think most importantly. He got Russell to buy in, right? And I think it was that Monday night game against Buffalo where Russell didn't play amazing, but he didn't lose them the game. And that defense won them the game. And they played complimentary football and they beat one of the best teams on the road on Monday night football, right? But in that, a game like that will give you confidence. Now, Houston is young. They're still going through some growing pains. I thought they should have beaten Jacksonville last week at home. They didn't, which is where I'm a little hesitant, but I don't know. I really like what I've seen from Stroud, but at the same time, Denver's secondary is fully healthy now. So I think this will be a really, really nice test for a young team. I think it's another test for CJ Stroud where we can really see the potential of where him, Tank Dell, Nico Collins can go and just honestly stack up where they're going to be moving forward in the AFC because they do have a lot of work to do. Both these teams, as you said, Denver's not a Super Bowl contender. Houston's not a Super Bowl contender. They both seem to be about a year away, but building momentum at this time. Uh, I'm going to lean with Houston to win. Uh, I, don't, I don't love the spread. I actually am a little surprised it's three and a half just because of how hot, um, how hot Denver is. But usually they give three points for the home team. So technically it's about a half point. But well, I mean... And I want to say this too, um, from a, like a fantasy perspective, just also in, like analyzing it, look at what Sean Payton ran in New Orleans and then look at what he is running in Denver Totally. and look at the box scores. That is when I started seeing the box scores and I started seeing the volume that I saw in, in New Orleans translate to, to Denver. That's when I really started to see things start to click. And I say that because Javante Williams is not the type of running back he traditionally uses. So what are we seeing from Javante William? We're seeing volume go down. We're seeing efficiency go down. Yeah, he's coming off the ACL, but we loved what we saw from him before he tore the ACL, and he's just not Alvin Kamara. And they don't have a fill option of Alvin Kamara behind Williams. So you, they they need a running back that can complement him so he can be more of the Mark Ingram, so he can be more of that lead back and, and, and tout the load. But you're seeing the 
the usage of him in very interesting ways that I don't find efficient because again, he may not have the personnel that he needs to run his system. Not saying that yeah. Williams isn't a good running back. He's just not, not working for what Sean Payton's asking at times, totally. but you also see the volume share within the wide receivers and the tight ends. It's very similar to what we saw in new Orleans. And I think that just goes into play with, they had to learn this system and they really had to start understanding how things work. And each player had to change the way that they were taught to play in the NFL now based off Sean Payton's system. And lastly, I think you said it well, this will be a measuring stick for Houston. If they come out and they look overmatched and bullied because of Sean Payton, you, we will all say, Hey, they're rookies, right? It's okay. They're rookies. But if they come out and they play really well, I think this would be a really push forward for me that this team is going to be very, very, very dangerous going into next season. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. It, may, it might, might surprise someone in the playoffs if they win this weekend and start to improve their win loss. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Have some tiebreakers over some of the teams at the bottom. So they, I think they got another matchup with Indy coming up soon. Who's somehow that, that guy, I, I forget his name. He's got to be up there for coach of the year. The fact that that team six and five is insane in a story for another time, not on the agenda, but um, two more games left here that I wanted to talk about. The last one is Packer hour. So just chill everyone. But uh, juggernaut matchup, dude, the matchup we've all been waiting for is the Niners Eagles in Philly. Uh, this is crazy here. Philly two and a half point dogs hmm. at home. Um, everybody's healthy. That I, I don't know. I don't have like line movement stats or and we're not this, this isn't really a gambling podcast, but just for context, they're they're dogs at home to the Niners. Um I like the Niners as the team. I don't like the Niners in general, but like I like their players and I think they have a great squad. Um, there's no way in hell I'm not picking Philly to win this game. I think what that team has done offensively has shocked me beyond belief. I can't believe Jalen Hurts is this good at football, to be quite honest with you, after watching him at Alabama and Oklahoma in his first couple of years in the league. Like, he's a top five quarterback. He's probably, he might be a top three quarterback, dude. He's absolutely playing out of his mind. He's the best leader in football right now, in my opinion. And both teams, but more specifically, Philadelphia seems to be on a mission that they don't want to be stopped. And there's been a lot of disrespect spoken back and forth between both of these teams based on the NFC Championship game last year. Uh, I expect this to be an absolute shootout. Even though the defenses are good, I think the offenses are going to prevail. But I love Philly this weekend against San Francisco. Yeah, and that's what scares me, Matt. Um I absolutely think Philly matches up really well with the 49ers and especially after losing their safety for the year. That is the 49ers. Um, right. You're talking about now a weakness in the middle of that field. What has been the weakness? We're talking about that dropped interception against Matt Stafford to not <laughs> go to the Super Bowl. Um, that was reminded to me this week. And wow, I will never forget that. But that was a bad one. It was a bad one. Um I love the Eagles and it, that's what scares me. The Eagles and everything that I, I know and I feel should, and I don't even think win this game by a touchdown. I think they should dominate the 49ers. Now dominating a really good team means, means maybe winning by 10. Um, but they're going to put Brock Purdy in a position that he's uncomfortable with, which is pressure. They're going to play man to man defense on the outside. They're going to leverage, you know, their new acquisition in Boyd. Um, and then Jalen Hurts is going to go to work against that secondary that's banged up. I, I think the Eagles are a slam dunk, and you're giving them two and a half. 
that's what scares me. Yeah, I mean, in, in rightfully so, though, just because that D line since getting Chase Young has been it's been two games, but it is it is a bit unfair with Chase Young and Bosa. But Philly's defense has been a little suspect against the past this year. Their run defense has been good. So it's just going to be really interesting chess masses match to see how they match up against Christian McCaffrey um, and what they allow on the outside with Iuke and Debo Samuel. So I'm just glad everyone's healthy. I hope both teams stay healthy throughout the whole game. And we're going to get to the Packers here in a second. Obviously, I would love the Packers to win the Super Bowl this year, but I think we've been saying it all season on the pod is like, this is the matchup we need in the NFC Championship game. Again, most likely for the product, for football, for fans. If it's not my team, this is the matchup I think we all deserve. So um, good to get a little bit of an appetizer here in week 13. But yeah, I, I, the fact that both of us love the Phillies makes me feel like you should pick the Niners, right? Like It, yeah. feels, it feels too good. It feels too good to be like, yeah, of course, Philly's going to win their 5-0 at home, 10-1 on the season. Um, well, and if kicker, they their kicker if, made a 59 yard field goal in the pouring rain, like, are you fucking kidding me? If they come out, if the 49ers come out and, and dominate this game or, you know, that, that defensive line really makes life hard in the offensive line, it'll also be a measuring stick because you have the totally. Im- immovable force meeting the immovable object, right? The arguably the best offensive line in football against the best defensive line, like who comes out on top, but I think the X factor is Jalen Hurts. I mean, it is Jalen Hurts versus Brock Purdy. Purdy. I don't care how much you like Brock <laughs> Purdy. I don't. He's not Jalen Hurts. And to your point, Jalen Hurts is one of the best quarterbacks in this league. I don't think he's one of the best passers. I, I don't think he's the fastest. But when you look at what a quarterback needs to be, he has all of it. And and that goes into the conversation we were having earlier with building around a player and the system and pulling out the, the traits that he's best at and designing your offense based off that Jalen hurts and Tom Brady may not be the most, you know, they may not be Aaron Rodgers, but they are probably better leaders and they are showing that I think throughout their careers 100%. and Jalen is the X factor of this game. He was last week, you know, I mean, Kelsey's block was also incredible, but um, Jalen, I think wins this game for the Eagles. Yeah, me too. And then next week, Niners uh, against Seattle, Eagles play Dallas, so who's going to stay healthy, right? Yeah. Like can yep. can that's the question? Th- this is going to be an absolute brawl out there, you know. Like, uh, th- they need to stay healthy. That's also a massive factor. It still is just week thirteen, yeah. Right at the end of the day. Okay, yeah. uh, Packer hour. We whooped that ass. No turkey leg. Six and a half point dogs at home against Kansas City. Packers are three and two at home on the season, five and six on the season. They're a game back with a fucking wild card in the NFC. Oh, how things have changed. Um, I love the Packers this weekend, Matt. Yep. So do I. Am I crazy? Nope. Like I I think this this is the test. So the Packers have one of the easiest schedules moving forward after this game. Kansas City, we've talked about it on the podcast, has a top five defense in the NFL. No doubt about it. Their pass rush is great. Their corners are great. Their linebackers, we love them. Um, but I think the Packers have turned a corner offensively, and I think they are so in sync at the wide receiver and quarterback position that they'll be able to score enough points with the struggling Kansas City offense. And 
for some reason, I th- and I not only think we cover, I, I think I think the Packers might actually win this game, which is where I'm already upset at myself for having hope. Yeah, so this kind of goes right back into the Eagles. Um, I feel so confidently in the Packers that I'm concerned, and yeah. it's it, it's because of the hometown bias. It's because I know where the momentum is at in that locker room just by pure feel and watching this team all season and knowing that what I thought could play out is playing out, which is cohesion. It's understanding. It's experience starting to play a factor. It's playing the right players who do the right things. Everything that should have happened is happening and coinciding with the fact that this game is monumental for a lot of these young players, as well as Jordan Love. If they can beat the Chiefs, this will catapult all of them into a belief system where they know they belong. They know their system works. They know they can win together against great teams. This is career altering in a lot of ways. And a week 13 game shouldn't be like that. But with everything that Jordan Love has had with the narrative of the media and the team in general, Matt LaFleur, GM Goot, this is a massive game. Now, if they lose, it'll be, hey, you went up against one of the best teams in the NFL, you know, missed the opportunity to build that momentum. But I think Packers match up very well. That secondary has played extremely well without Jair that linebacking core has done very good in the flats as well as in um, tier two coverage second level coverage I think they're going to match up well against Kelsey and I think they're going to make life very very difficult on the wide receivers which is pretty easy because we've talked how bad they are the question is can the pass rush make Patrick Mahomes uncomfortable and that interior defense force him to the outside where Van Ness and Gary can capitalize where then he makes mistakes. Um, I think Jordan Love plays a great game. It's up to the defense. The defense can come out and play as they have the last three, four weeks. Green Bay wins this game and wins this game by ten. Yeah, I, I, I think I think so, they're I think they are a better football team than the Chiefs, and I uh, full heartedly mean that. I, I think the Chiefs have so yet. many weaknesses, and they're propped up by Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. I really yeah. believe that. I you're you're not wrong. I I don't think the Packers are there yet. I don't, th- I don't think they're there yet. I don't think they're there yet. I think I think they had a great game on Thursday, and they had a great game the week before that as well. And that's where I think your nervousness in mind comes from. Is like okay, that's well, the expectation, right? And in the the other part, I think you're missing out on too is can our line hold up against the Kansas City pass rush? I, I think that's also a big crucial piece because the offensive line for green Bay has really done well over the past couple of weeks. They did great against Aiden Hutchinson and the rush for the lions, which helped Jordan, obviously, but it is only good. Aiden Hutchinson, right? It is That's only the, Aiden yeah. Hutchinson, but it's like, also if you just neutralize Chris Jones, you're in a good spot now, easier said than done. Right. Um, you're hundred percent right about making Patrick Mahomes uncomfortable. If you can slow down Pacheco, make Mahomes uncomfortable, I think the defense is in a great spot to not give up 20 points, right? It's just can love and company move the ball efficiently down the field, score touchdowns, and can the kicker not miss extra points, right? Like there's a lot, there's a lot of factors. The kickers, that's me being an asshole, but like, I just, I don't think we're a better team yet, Matt. Like I, I, I need to see it one more time because they just had the biggest win they've ever had as a collective group. How do you respond to that? Right? Like th- this is a big, big test for that because none of us thought, I shouldn't say none of us. I didn't think 
we were going to look the way we did Thursday and beat their ass the way we did. So hear me out, right? I believe our corners are better if Jair is playing. Valentine is a, he could be a Pro Bowl corner. I mean, it's early and he's had some easy matchups. So, like, I don't want to overreact to his PFF grade. But if you don't know, just go take a look. Um, He's pretty damn good. Rated out through data. Again, hasn't had to really face a lot of players. So, like, that skews it. And I'm open to that. With Jair, cornerbacks are better. With our middle linebacker, kind of a wash. I think Walker and Bolton, because I think Bolton is now back. Yeah, um, he, I, Bolton's probably a little better, but Walker's he, right there. He right, he's right there, right? Off defensive line, probably a push with Gary and Jones. I'm taking Rashawn Gary as an ad rush all day. I don't care unless you're putting... We got Kenny Clark, one of, too. One of the, yeah, great. but I'll cancel him out with Jones. I think I think yep. they're e- equally as good. I think Jones just gets the credit. Um, so I like the Packers defense better. I like the Packers wide receivers better. I like the Chiefs offensive line. I can't I can't find sure. any bullshit to really spew there. I like Patrick Mahomes, but I like the I like the Packers system with their personnel. And that's why I think they're a better team because they're executing a system. Patrick Mahomes is out there winning football games. That defense yeah. is making plays at key moments. This isn't a system we're seeing operated because there isn't the personnel to operate a system. You got MVS out there. Like, this is a joke. It's, and we've talked about it last week. It's a joke. And, you know, this is, this is of course, the facade of, like, the great quarterback does make a difference. It's Patrick oh, yeah. Mahomes. But I think from a team perspective, you take Mahomes and you take love out of the equation, this is an interesting football game that it's Green Bay wins. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I do think, though, we talked about the Broncos earlier and we talked about the Packers now. Both of these teams since that game that I was at have done everything they needed to do. They've been growing. They've been building. The difference is Green Bay has a ceiling that is way higher than the Broncos. And if Green Bay can come even 75% of that efficiency of that ceiling in this game and everything comes together, I think they're the better football team when they play at that level because the system is being operated. Um, Kelsey's going to have to have a big game. Mahomes is going to need a weapon outside of Kelsey. And I just, I can't envision who that's going to be. Yeah. Um, and Jordan, if they slow if they slow Pacheco down, they're in a good spot. Yeah, it's. I'm very excited for this game, and if they if the Packers can win, and if they can win by ten, like I had said two minutes ago, five minutes ago, um, I'm gonna feel probably too good about this Green Bay team, and that that also yeah. scares me. Yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll be a hundred percent ready to get hurt again. Mm-hmm. I'll be I'll be all just 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 hurt yep. me, just just break my heart again, please. Because it's an easy loss for the Chiefs. Like they're coming into Green Bay. Like this, this is an easy loss. You know, they're Green Bay's had away with ten the days. Still. Yeah. yeah, you could you could give a goose egg to the young Packers and and feel whatever about it. Yeah, God, I mean, I'm, the fact that my hopes are up right now is just insane. This but, is a I mean, game the, that I put the, money the, on and I lose. That's what happens yeah, in these games. You know, when I when I feel this strongly and I'm emotionally invested. Because there is obviously bias with the hometown team, but I I believe everything I said. Um, the Chiefs are trending in one direction, but the only thing keeping them like keeping them the Chiefs is Mahomes and Reed, the like, best player in football. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. And I mean, shit, dude. I, we we've talked about this. We'll close it out here in a sec. After this game, the Packers have the Giants, the Bucks, the Panthers, the Vikings, the Bears. Like everything is right in front of this team, and I think that's also what gives me a little bit of this false hope is like, you know, they know that obviously it's one week at a time, but it's like, Hey, 
it's in their control if they really want to do something special this year. And I hope that I hope they don't for everybody. I but, hope yeah. they don't give a shit about that. I hope they don't care. Like I know it sounds crazy, but I hope they don't care about the playoffs. I hope Me that too. every single week they go out there trying to get better and trying to prove everyone else wrong. You know, like we are good enough. I am good enough as Jordan Love as the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. Reed, I should have been a first round pick. No one believed me. I was even worth a second round pick, right? Wicks, I was a six round pick. Like they're talking about me having comparisons to Vontae Adams in practice, which is ridiculous, but holy cow, would that be cool? Um, the offensive line, right? A, a bunch of nobodies. And if they just take this, as you said, week by week, like every opponent we face, our job is to execute better than they do. Like that is core football. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. Going all the way back to the very beginning, right? Of the yep. podcast of what's making teams successful. Why is the product bad? And the product was fucking bad five weeks ago Yeah, in Green Bay, right? But they stuck to their guns. They've stuck to their system. They've made the adjustments, like you mentioned, that they were supposed to. And, and we're seeing... We're seeing improvements over well, time. Well, last thing, Matt, he has played against the Kansas City Chiefs before too, and he that has. wasn't a bad football game. Well, he, it we I say it bad okay. isn't we didn't get blown out, but like he didn't perform very well. <laughs> so I right. I have to expect he's going to be better the second time around. But also, it is only is the only team he would have faced out of all of the teams that he's already played once. I find that kind of cool. Yeah, and I mean, just the way that he's been spinning the rock the last four weeks, he's looked like a different man than the guy who looked a little lost a month and a half ago, especially when we went to the game in Vegas well, six weeks ago. Matt, he, to me, he's never looked lost. It just was it was a car that was missing a, you know, a Cadillac converter. Some asshole <laughs> stole it in the middle of the night. And they had to they had to replace it, you know. But no, and seriously, like I I've seen what could be all year. It, it's just it's starting to come together. And this game is either like we progress even further, or or hey, we gotta slow our expectations a little bit. That's really what it is, right? Like, yeah. and and for for both options, it's good for Packer fans. It really is because totally. This could get out of hand to your point. Like we could buy back into this and get really hurt for the next 10 years. Like <laughs> probability sure. is there. Yeah. But also like now in hindsight, like it does feel kind of nice to not be thinking about the Caleb Williams sweepstakes too. Like yeah. th there's a, there's just a, there's a defeating feeling just like talking about the draft for your team in November, you know? I think it's defeating when you're talking about replacing a quarterback that you still believe in. Cause that's how I felt all year with love. I, yeah, I, I haven't wavered that. my faith in Jordan love at all. And same it sucks when you have fans and friends that are wavering and you're like, no, like I, he needs time. Like, like, but that is, that's right to the narrative of, we talked about even with teams, you know, impatience. It's like, damn, you didn't succeed in two years, you're out. Three years, you're out. It's like, what about patience? Like, and that's just that's something that me and you even talked about off here when we were talking about just generalized marketing and and things that certain um, companies have to do to keep the attention of their of their prospective clients or their prospective customers. Like, the attention span in society has, if not slowed down, almost diminished to zero, and uh, that that goes right into fandom as well. Yeah, a hundred percent. Eleven weeks in Carolina. Twelve weeks in Carolina. Dude, think about unreal. That. Think about that. <laughs> Unbelievable.
<laughs> All right, guys. Uh, we'll wrap it up here. We'll see you guys next week. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at Pod. Later, y'all.